0: It's the Total Water Polo Podcast. Thanks for giving us a listen. As you may be able to tell, we're still playing around with format. And we'll hopefully have some more conversations with our writers in the coming weeks. But today, it's nearly an hour with one of the USA's most intriguing men's players. Alex Obert came out of tiny Loomis, California, to become one of the most unlikely members of the American men's senior team, including the 2016 Olympics in Rio. He's expected to make next year's roster for Tokyo as well. And is currently making his mark on European water polo with one of its most prestigious clubs, VK Jug, in Croatia. We cover a wide array of topics, including his small-town roots, his playing style, and whether he plans to have a suitcase full of food when he presumably travels to Tokyo in 2021. Here he is, Alex Obert. He's a three time All-American who played on that University of Pacific team that reached the 2013 NCAA championship finals. I was there by the way, Alex, and uh, a 2016 Olympian and very likely will be on that same team again if and when this ever happens in Tokyo. We're hoping that takes place. It's Alex Obert on Zoom from Croatia. Thanks for your time today, Alex. I'm so happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, well, so here's how you get called out, right? Alex Bowen. Was on another podcast, which is actually very good, and uh, and and called you out as somebody that should be covered another, and somebody should have a conversation about. He's one of your biggest fans, and he's not the only one. Like there are others who spontaneously tell me that you know Alex Obert's story is one of the most interesting one in, in American water polo. So why do you think people find your story so compelling?
1: I think one of the the biggest things is I kind of came from. Uh, not so rich water polo area up in Northern California, uh, small town of Loomis um, ended up never actually making a junior team got cut from the central California, like selection team didn't even make it to the jail or like the ODP qualifiers. Um, and, and then just kind of found my right place at UOP and with a coach Graham and just really flourished in a couple of years there and made the, the national team after probably my, third year of college uh second year at UOP I ended up actually having to go to junior college for a year so that's another <laughs> another reason um and then then guys like Bowen who we've literally been on the team together since 2013 we were kind of that first crop that on kind of saw and brought in and so the bond between me and him is super strong we're we're super close we've been roommates on countless trips uh he came to my wedding things like that so between the great guys on the team that I have that like to, to publish me a little bit more and I'm usually not the guy that's out there kind of publicizing myself and and kind of my unique history is I think one of the reasons people like to hear about my story.
0: <laughs> in, in a game situation there's two Alex's on the team does one get called Obert, one gets called Bowen or brick or something like that.
1: Yeah, so I think on the national team right now, we have four Alexes. We have Coach Alex Rodriguez, who yes. gets called A-Rod. Well, that, yeah, we that have, takes
0: him out of the game, the A-Rod right away. Yeah,
1: then we have Alex Wolf, the, the starting goalie, who just goes by Wolf. And then we have Bowen, and then I have a million nicknames, usually either Obert or Obi or anything. So pretty much none of us actually get called by Alex. So <laughs> when someone actually says Alex, it's usually like, wait, who? So... We pretty much just dropped that name completely, and we all have nicknames now. <laughs>
0: all right, good. And let's let's go back to because I suspect that you tell people you're from Sacramento. Maybe I'm wrong about that. Okay, but, <laughs> exactly. Okay, but you do so because Loomis is uh, how how far is Loomis from downtown San- Sacramento?
1: It's about thirty miles. Thirty miles east of Sacramento.
0: Right. So, as you said, there are these hotbeds that everyone knows about in the state of California, and Sacramento has made a huge amount of progress since back in i'm ancient but you know since the 80s there's sacramento water polo didn't exist frankly from my perspective so there's been a ton of progress but but you don't even come from there you come from 30 miles northeast you basically you go through loomis before you hit auburn and you go up to lake tahoe that's that's the that's the route right so exactly so let's go back to that so you grew up in this town called loomis it's um and among all of the usa nationals would you say that you come from the smallest town from the smallest, uh, environment?
1: Yeah, for sure. I'm definitely probably, I think on that 2016 team, I was probably, I think I was the only player from Northern California. Um, everyone else was from Southern California and then we had Thomas Dunson who's from the East coast. So definitely in that way. And they're all usually bigger cities. Uh, Loomis, I think is population like 7,000 or something like that. So definitely this, the small town kid, <laughs>
0: Not only the only one from Northern California, but uh, from from what would you how would you describe it? The foothills? I mean, it's it's not. Yeah, it's not the Bay Area. No, it,
1: no, it's it's out there. Um, they, their favorite favorite thing is a, a small town is like a big family. So mm-hmm. my parents have always kind of said it's kind of Midwestern in California. It's kind of that small town feel. Um, so the population was is 7,000 people, but uh, local the Friday night football game averaged 10,000 people. So you could see that kind of the kind of Life, lifestyle, and everything out there is, is a little different, and and football is king. And <laughs> so, water polo, water polo is not usually the sport that that
0: kids my age end up playing when they when they hey. go to Delaware, Ohio, and Hey, listen, I'm in Texas. Everybody knows football. Is <laughs> king. Um, ha- have the fires affected your family this summer?
1: Um, they definitely had to stay inside um, most of the time. The, the the weather got really bad, and then the Creek Fire, which was in Northern Cal, in like kind of in Central California, up above Fresno. My family has like a, a cabin out there that we've had for uh, like three generations, and it it rolled right through there. Luckily, it was saved. Firefighters did an amazing job back back burned and saved the whole point of houses. But um, besides that, luckily none of the fires rolled into loomis Um, Loomis actually been pretty lucky i don't think we've had a fire nearby in probably 15 20 years so um luckily nothing nothing too bad in that area but just the the bad air quality
0: good to know i mean in I, I asked because the, um, the the fires that took place in California were all over the state. And California yeah. is actually a very big place to to be. And so it's unclear sometimes about whether a fire is affecting your particular area, because it just seems like it's everywhere. So anyway, I'm glad. I'm very glad that your family is all good. Um, going back to Del Oro. Del Oro is the high school that you played at in Loomis. And you were yep. a, a, a league MVP. So let's let's go back, right? Town of 7,000, probably 6,000 at the time, right? Um, so, how did you start? What was the water polo community like? You know, it, yeah. it, it had to start somehow. So, how did that work?
1: So, the very, very beginning, about I think it was fourth grade, um, I tried water polo and absolutely hated it. Um, so, I played for like two months, didn't like it at all. Um, then, coming up to high school, my dad was really big on playing. Uh, he wanted me to play three sports, one in the fall, one in the, in the winter and one in the spring. Um, and at that point in my life, I thought I was a basketball player. I'm gonna play basketball all four years. I'm gonna hopefully get a college scholarship in basketball and this is my life. Um, and my dad was like, okay, but you have to do something in the fall to stay in shape for basketball season. So I was all signed up to play football because that's what every freshman kid in Loomis does. You, you play football, you wear your football jersey on Friday, everyone comes out to watch you. The whole town knows who you are if you're a football player and all that kind of stuff. Um, and I really, I tried football in the past, didn't really like it too much, wasn't that great at it. And I liked being good at things. So one of my buddies was just like, hey, like, why don't you just come try water polo again? Like, it'll be fun. and and at the time and up until probably a couple years ago the delaro pool was six lanes 25 yards half of it was three feet deep where it was legitimately impossible for me even to to eggbeater and i decided to give it a shot i was because of the similarities between basketball and water pool i picked it up real quickly again and actually way better this time and i kind of learned now that i kind of had more basketball skills i kind of enjoyed water polo a lot more because I saw the similarities. Um, and then ended up playing my freshman year doing did pretty well wasn't the best player on the team, but just had some attributes that a lot of kids my age didn't have played basketball my freshman year. At this point, I hadn't grown yet. I was still probably 510 511 trying to play center. So I sat on the bench the entire year and then i realized hey maybe i'm better at water polo so <laughs> that's kind of the long-winded answer how i got into it um then i had my growth spurt of course the basketball coach came crying back asking me to come back but at that point i was pretty deep into water polo so um so it was fun um, I still my friends still tell me to this day that it's their reason they're the reason that I'm an Olympian and without them they would I never would have played water pool and I would have been a dumb football player. So
0: Yeah, they it, have to take it's credit. It's a pretty good that. story. <laughs> yeah, they love <laughs> it. It is. Too. Uh so this leads me to one of my favorite questions. When did you start to realize that you were good?
1: Um probably I don't, probably my sophomore year, um, didn't have a great team. So they had to pull me up to varsity my sophomore year with two other, my teammates. And I was like, Oh, wow, I'm up to varsity. And then I got pulled up to varsity. And then a month later, I was the best player on varsity. And I was like, Whoa, what's going on here? Last year, I was just a regular player on the JV team. And I had kind of started growing into my body and things like that. So really my sophomore year, I was like, oh, wow, I could be good at this. And at that point, I was just like, oh, maybe I can go to a junior college. And then, so so my goals have been step by step. I didn't really realize even throughout how good I could really be.
0: You um, mentioned, you've mentioned nothing but high school and playing youth, <laughs> but you haven't mentioned a club. So no club player? Yeah.
1: So I started playing club. A um, so double kind of just like, re, like teen club. I played that. After my freshman summer and my sophomore summer, um, and then um, Bruce Hasty, who used to be the coach at Jesuit, ended up taking over at Sierra College, which is right near um, Loomis. So he ended up bringing sack polo kind of up the 80 freeway into into the, the the Loomis, Roseville, Rockland area, which pretty much changed my career because then and I ended up playing for sack polo and him and. He was a super high-level coach, kind of built that whole Jesuit program, which in Sacramento is, is the best water pool school by far. It's sent tons of kids to Cal and things like that. So when he came there, um, I decided to play for him, and that's really when everything kind of took off. I learned a ton from him at, at Sac So And they're still going today at Sierra College and, and hopefully just growing the, the water pool in that whole area.
0: Okay, so then that that led somehow to you getting on UOP's radar, University Pacific. How did that happen?
1: Yeah, yeah, so that's an interesting story. So I ended up going to the Camp of Champions down in Long Beach that used to be run by Ken and Monty back in the day. Um, and James was kind of like an assistant coach throughout there, and this was back when he was at Santa Rosa, my first time there. Um, and so we kind of talked. It was kind of like my sophomore year. Um, And then I went again, like my junior summer before my senior year, and we talked again and he said, well, I just took the job at UOP. How about you go to Santa Rosa Junior College for two years and then you can come play for me at UOP. And this was like before my senior year um, of playing. And so I started talking to the junior college and everything like that. And James kind of put me in contact with them. And then halfway through my senior year, I got an email from James that said, scratch that. Why don't you just come here now?
0: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, good news. Uh, Why not Sierra, by the way? Is it just because he was familiar with the program in Santa Rosa?
1: Yeah, yeah. So James came from Santa Rosa. He was a Santa Rosa coach for two years. Obviously, I was looking at at Santa Rosa Sierra college and, and American river college, which is the other college in Sacramento. And I ended up actually going to Sierra for one year in between high school and UOP. Um, I did something called a gray shirt, which not a lot of water polo players do like me again, another weird, uh, story I ended up taking. So the way it works is you take under 12 units in your first class in your first semester. So this is kind of something that football players do a lot. Um, allows you to kind of like grow up physically and mentally. For me, those were both things I needed to do coming out of high school. <laughs> and so I was at Sierra for a year. Um, I was just like a practice player. And then I swam on the swim team. Um, and that was kind of the, the trade. They would let me practice. And, and obviously, my club coach was the Sierra team coach. So he loved me and just let me train. Um, and then the following year, I went to UOP again in 2011. But I was technically still a freshman. Um, so I kind of saved my eligibility and was able to grow up mentally and physically. <laughs>
0: Grayshirt that's a new one for me, yeah. Um, yeah. And just to go back, you were talking about Long Beach, you were talking about Monty Nitskowski, Ken Lindgren, these are two legendary yeah. figures. And then, uh, and James Graham was the coach at Santa Rosa City College, which a lot of people in maybe a lot of people outside of California don't understand how robust the water polo is at the junior college level. I'm sure it was very, very yeah. competitive. Um, so you got on ULP's radar. Um, you, you have been cited as saying things, uh, good things about coach Graham. Um, I would consider him maybe the most innovative coach in the NCAA. So what was your experience?
1: Uh, My experience with James is, I mean, he's still one of my biggest mentors. I still talk to him a good, a good, decent amount. And the thing about James is he's not afraid to make changes. And I think that's something that's super, uh, admirable about him and something that I try to take from him because 2011 I came in as a freshman we had probably one of the most talented teams in the country loaded with seniors loaded with great international talent I was coming in as a freshman who could contribute and play and we lost every single game by one goal and ended up I think seventh I think eighth or seventh or eighth in in the MPSF, And at this point, we I think we lost to USC in sun death overtime they went on to win the NC2A. That
0: so, sounds familiar.
1: Yeah, that later on. But James came after that season, decided that he didn't want to do keep repeating the same thing over and over and getting the same mistakes. So decided that he was going to take the whole offseason to kind of run the numbers on waterpool, which for me was super intriguing because I'm in, I'm actually, I graduated an engineering degree, so I love numbers also. So it was an easy way for me and him to communicate. So after that, he kind of came up with this whole new system of playing and kind of looking. He always wanted to try to prove why he wanted to make a change with numbers. And so that was something that was super easy for me to buy into because he had some data to me. I would understand it. And then I would try to then help my teammates understand it <laughs> because sometimes it was a little too, too mathy for some of the other majors in, the, in in on the team. But I always had a great connection with him because we kind of thought similarly, and obviously it worked because the following year I think we lost 14 seniors. We redshirted Goran. We redshirted one of another Hungarian Balasabo, and we ended up doing better that next year. Um, that was kind of my breakout year. So. Core my breakout year and his kind of switch to this more base kind of lined up in the same year and it's probably due a lot. They probably all kind of equal each other and so I'm I'm forever
0: indebted to James Graham. Well, you you mentioned that you had to maybe explain how this worked from a from a sort of quant <laughs> perspective for the rest of your teammates, but for those of us who may not have a quant background, is there a way you can describe how you translate essentially data into? playing style because you're essentially going from hard numbers to you could even call it art like the the way that you actually are physically in the pool when you're playing water polo
1: yeah i think one of the the easiest things for me to understand was just what is the most statistically important part of the game and how do we maximize that and so what james really broke down was what what makes winning What stats can you show can then predict winning a game? And what he really found out was that exclusions, the number of exclusions and the exclusion ratio is what determined a game usually. Whoever had more exclusions and held the other team the less usually ended up winning the game. And so obviously there was a lot of regression analysis, a lot of data to, to back up all of that. And a lot of time and effort that James put in, I think it was almost six months of just straight recording data and then crunching numbers and things like that but so it's easy now going ahead and now trying to do that is where the art comes in and designing tactics that can now allow you to gain more exclusions and not take as many exclusions and things like that Um, and then also you have to adjust because now teams understand that that's what EOP is doing and are going to throw different tactics to try to balance that. So the art form comes in, you kind of get the root cause and then the art is trying to figure out how to execute it properly. And I think James has done a really good job of that. And he's also done a good job of after maybe I've left and other players left, he kind of make, doesn't make the players go to the system. He adjusts the system to the players and, the help and tries to help them become more successful. And, and so he's always changing, which I think is super important because if you're just trying to shove uh, square holes and round pegs the entire time. It's not always going to work. So he adjusts the system to his players, and I think think that's what works best and that's kind of that art form that you were talking about
0: yeah how interesting because you would think that if you're a data-driven coach (laughs) that your system would basically be the same right so you could think that that i'm not saying you should but you could think that but you're saying that he is able and he's not the only one i'm sure but he's able to adjust the way that his team actually plays so we're talking tactics in response to trying to still achieve the same strategy which is that you know exclusions are are your friend Exactly, exactly. And, and and that's that art form that you're talking
1: about, yeah. which I think all, all great coaches are able to balance that. If they're okay. too one way or too the other way, it never really works out too well.
0: Okay, so uh, here's a painful subject. 2013 National Championships. What happened?
1: I, I still, it took me about four years to be able to go back and watch the game. Um, I still remember thinking like, oh, we have this game. This is us. We're playing we're playing out of our minds. Like this is it. And they were just a five time at that point, four time champion. They they knew exactly what to do to win. they never they never got too high or too low. We were the new the new kids on the block, never really been there. So excited to be there. Probably got a little too high and, and let them back into the game and then and then they just closed it out and and it's it's something I'll never get back. I think that's something about college people don't understand is you have such you have such a finite number. And, and for us, it was that one time over the last 50 years that we had that opportunity. Um, but it's it's a game I'll always cherish. That was one of the best years of my life. Um, I love those those teammates. I talked to those teammates all the time from around the world because that team was so from so many different countries and Yeah, it it hurts. Um, It still hurts, but it still drives me to this day. I mean, I still want to get better just because of that game. And, and then it's, and it's been awesome. And, I, it's something I'll never forget.
0: You're one of the first people who's actually described it as um, maybe you guys got a little too intense and USC has this sort of almost robo- not robotic. It's not, that's not to say, but they're just so accustomed to what you, st- yeah. as you said, going out there and winning. And I remember speaking to somebody very high up in, in water polo at the time. And, and I, I said, what happened? And he said, they just didn't know how to win. And, and that's, you could take that as disparaging, but I think it fits with what you're saying is that your experience at that level was basically none, whereas USC had been doing this for for several years in a row. Is that is that a fair way to uh, appraise it?
1: Yeah, I definitely think that's a fair way to look at it. If you look back now, um, I think that UOP team in 2013 was probably one of the most talented teams ever. I mean, we had a Hungarian Olympian. I was an Olympian um Marcus at that time i think was the best goalie in the country and then coran <laughs> who who could have been an olympian if he wanted to but now is still dominating the australian league um and it was interesting because i ended up in 2015 before the olympics living with nikola Vavich, who was the guy who had the game-winning shot um won four championships and everything and and obviously me and him a lot of talks about it in he even said it, and he knew that we were a more talented team, and everything like that. But as in his said, he was like, "That was my fourth championship. I'd been there, and for us, we we hadn't, and we didn't. Re- we didn't win MPSF. We didn't win NorCal's or SoCal's. so we didn't really have that that championship and finishing experience yet. Um, and it sucks that we kind of put it all together right at the end. And I still think we sh- we should have won that game. We had we had the opportunities and everything." Um, but it 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 takes a little. It takes more than just talent to win, and that's what's really taught that game taught me, and and it's drove me from this today from that day to just do everything I can to win no matter what.
0: I wrote a piece, maybe my favorite piece that I've ever done after that game because it was absolutely wrenching to watch the end. And and I'm I you know I don't think it's any secret I was rooting for you because and not because I'm rooting against <laughs> USC. It's like it's novelty and new teams are really interesting. And it was just crushing the way that things ended, and and um, so anyway, I'm I'm glad you got to share a little bit about that. <laughs> but, so, yeah, well, it's not you know it can be super painful, but you obviously look back and and uh, with some fondness as well. So uh, that's that's very cool. Um, so uh, I want to get to your playing style a little bit, and this goes to what a lot of other people are saying about you, which is, and this is, these are my words, not theirs, but you seem to be maybe the only one on the men's national teams that you can fairly call a utility player. Is that something that you want? Is it something you work on or would you rather just be known as a center?
1: No, it's definitely something I work on. And it kind of goes back to this, that 2013 game in the fact that, I don't care about like the label of a center or this or this. I just want to do whatever the team needs to do to win. And so ever since my, my maybe first day on the national team, Dayon has always told me like, okay, I'm going to need you to play center. I'm going to need you to play center defense. I may need you to play left side. I may need you to play right side. And so I've taken pride in the ability to be able to do whatever the team needs. And that's kind of how I look at it. And I like being able to be utility. So if something happens, I'm usually the first guy that can fill in. But then I also have my role as the second center and even sometimes the second or third defender. So I actually really enjoy being a utility. And I think it's something with the new rules and kind of before they added back the players, but especially with these new rules with all the exclusions that are happening that I think are super important. And it's getting more and more more guys on the national team now are having to learn kind of, they need to be able to play two or three positions to be able to to make the national team and to be important so I think it's something I take pride in it, and something that I, you'll see more and more players throughout the national team
0: having. We to do will, it. okay, because because you 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 just mentioned that you know players are going to tend to want to do whatever it takes to 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 help the team, but the question is, can they actually do it? Can you put somebody in a position as center or put them on the on the four or five side or well, it's your one two side I suppose, the left hander yeah. side when they're not left handed. So that that has been a point of pride for you for some time apparently, and 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 something that Coach Dayon uh Udovich recognized in you from a fairly early time apparently
1: yeah from from the very beginning so he, he actually made me i was a center at uop in 2012 but when he brought me to the national team he immediately made me a defender and was like okay you're going to play defender at least for the next year learn from all these guys and that way you now have the defender skills and the center skills and so from the very beginning he saw it within in me and really knew exactly what he wanted to do and, and ma- to be able to make me have all these different types of skills and and he's seeing it in some of the young players now which is super exciting uh, for the future um and so yeah I think it's something that's important and it's also something I think younger kids should should realize that maybe you shouldn't just specialize at being a center or defender when you're age 14. Try to play everything. Everyone should know how to play center defense. Everyone should have some post-up moves like a center um, because when you get older, it's just going to help you even more. So I think it's something that is great for me and also something could be great for the younger kids growing up and
0: learning to play water You think so because you could argue that in the, let's say the last decade or so, that that, uh, specialization has really come into play. Like you're not just playing one of the top, you're playing at two, you know? And so you're saying that actually that, is that a trend that might be changing or people are recognizing that there are very versatile players who can play multiple positions? Cause that was, to me, that was the, the trend was going the other direction.
1: I don't know if the trend's actually changing, but the players that are making the national team may be going against the trend. So like guys like me playing multiple positions, if you look at like Cupido who on six on five plays pretty much every single position, yeah, Guys like Hannes who can play every position. Um, sometimes we even throw bone on the post. So things like that. So it made in the younger kids, I'm scared that it, it, the specialization is happening. But if you look at to where the national team is and kind of what the positions we have to play, it's not because and the guys that are, are able to play all these different positions are the ones making the team.
0: We've reached the end of the first half of our conversation today and we'll return in just a moment. All of Total Water Polo is brought to you advertising free, and we'd like to keep it that way. So we're asking for your help. Show your support by going to totalwaterpolo.com forward slash give, so we can continue to cover the sport we all love in the United States and beyond. And now, part two of today's conversation. So coach Dayon throws you in as a center defender. You're i I'm, I want to just clarify that because obviously he saw a talent in you, but it, you at least implied that being in that position would help you just learn the game because, uh, you know, again, you came from a, a smaller program and maybe not yeah. didn't know exactly what he was trying to get at. Yeah, exactly. I mean, my first,
1: first summer with down was my first like national team experience at any level. Most of the guys that had been on that level had played youths, juniors, had traveled overseas to play water pole kind of knew what it was like going to hotels. For me, it was all brand new. So Dion really put me in a position where I was able to learn, um, able to learn behind some great players at the time JW and John Mann were our center. So, and it was funny, Dayon knew that he was going to have me as a defender, but in his long plan, he knew I was eventually going to move back to center. So I was roommates with John Mann from the very beginning, all the way up through the entire Olympics. And he was my roommate when I took, when I became the second center. And then when Ben Halleck got thrown into the Olympics two weeks before we made that change, I moved back to defender. So I had played center for two years up to the Olympics. Then we switched and had the ability to move back to defender. Um, so, yeah, I, I think it, it's a super special trait that I have and something that I think gives me value within the team. Um, and I'm happy that I have it. And Dan, sure, taught me a lot in the last I think I, now I've been with him for eight years, which is crazy. It feels like yesterday.
0: I know. One of, one of my favorite questions, and I asked this of uh, of Matt Farmer, was, again, Matt Farmer came from a very good program in Illinois, but you could argue that going to play at a place like UCLA or UOP or then the national team is really a jarring change, I would suspect. Is that your recollection the first time you go to a practice? You're like, what are we doing here? This is new to me. Or was it more familiar than I'm giving you credit for?
1: Um, I would say the, the bigger change came for me when I, when I came from like the Loomis High School to mm-hmm. College Water Pool and kind of that whole – and then I was able to play with such high-level players at UOP, like Bosh or Dele, Goran Tomasevic, all those guys. Um, so that, re- that change was huge for me. I remember my first week coming home, because at the time I was driving from Loomis to Stockton for practices, and my parents were like, how was it? And I was like, oh, my God, I don't know what I'm going to do. Like, these guys are so big. They're so strong. They're so fast. Um, then obviously there was another huge jump um, from college to international level. Um, But I at least had been more prepared, I would say, than when I jumped from that high school to college level.
0: (laughs) So you you, you mentioned again uh, that uh, you were placed back at Center Defender. But my um, impression of the way you play is when I see you, it's always somehow inside water on the posts. And here's the real question. And you even mentioned something about it. I think you're listed as 225 on the USA water polo website. How in the world does somebody who weighs 225 play against some of these defenders who are what? 400, 500 pounds. I don't know. Like they, they seem so gigantic.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's, it's been tough. I've been trying to to gain weight and, and try to get up where those bigger centers are, but just, that's just not my body type. So I've always tried to use my I feel like my combination of speed and strength is what makes me a good player and a great player is not only I can be I'm large I'm 225 230 but I'm also quick and so I always try to use my quickness and leverage and things like that where these guys may be bigger than me but my combination of speed and and speed and size is what can beat them so I really try, and this is why one of the things Downs made me do is when I have to play center defense, and then I swim down and go directly to center with the center, who I was just guarding a center defense, and now is exhausted. Now I have the opportunity to use my speed when I was swimming down, and the fact that I have more endurance because I'm only 225 and this guy's <laughs> 250. That now he who is exhausted from the possession of me guarding him now has to guard me, and I and I have the advantage. So you just have to play a little, you can't just grab and just be that giant two fifty like Ben Halleck and John Mann, you have to kind of use your speed a little bit more and and some smart moves and, and just good coaching that sets you up. So a lot of times I'm coming in off movement instead of just coming in and starting at center, like a normal, like a normal center. I try to come in off a drive and then work. So you just have to make little adjustments, but, um, they all, they work for me and it, and it's an opportunity to grow. And for hopefully other, other centers, maybe my size to, (laughs) to grow into the national team too.
0: I love how nonchalant you were about saying like, Oh, Dejan wants me to go two to two. And I just started to like, (laughs) just collapse in my chair. Like uh, I'm already tired. Like I can't even imagine (laughs) playing that kind of role. So um, these skills obviously translated to the point where you are now on one of the great European water polo teams. You're playing at Yug, which is in Dubrovnik, Croatia. Um, This is your first year. You played in Greece last year, if if I have that correct. The land European championship draw is Monday. And uh, yeah, tomorrow, that's tomorrow. Actually, <laughs> And here are the te- here are at least two teams that are listed there. Olympiacos and ProReco. So you are very likely to match up against one of your USA national team buddies, right? Uh, Max Irving is playing for Olympiacos Halleck is playing for ProReco. Does that make any difference? Are you would you be would you rather avoid playing those guys? Or do you do you really look forward to playing against those guys?
1: Well, first, I haven't really been able to see any of them since quarantine, because we weren't able to practice after that. And then I immediately came here and they went out there. So first, if we got drawn together, it'd be awesome. I could just see them. So in that way, I I would love to. And the funny thing is, Ben is probably one of my best friends on the team, being, being the centers. And Max was my teammate in Greece last year, where we both kind of we gelled together as teammates and played well enough that we both went from a small Greek team to both playing Champions League this year at some of the top clubs in the world. So I owe a lot to Max playing with me last year to being in the position I am now. So I think I would want to match up with them um, just because I, I love to compete with those guys. We get after it in practice together, and it makes us better. And I think it would be a lot of fun to play them. Um, I'm sure the odds are that I'll probably play one of them. So I'm excited. Um, And I'm just super happy that we have – and Hannes is also on Olympiacos. So we have four four national team players in the wild card for for Champions League. And hopefully we might be able to – I think one or two guys. um, Maybe not. I think – but just to have four guys playing Champions League – is, is pretty impressive for the, for the U.S. team and not something that's happened very often. Yeah, no,
0: there's, <laughs> a, there's definitely a mixed feeling in my experience about Americans who go overseas to play because uh, obviously they're looking for talent. But in the past, at least, there have been occasions in which Americans are going over there and they're playing for very little or no money. And again, this is, this comes from my own uh, relationships with people who played overseas. And, and, and so those Americans sometimes are resented because they're basically free labor and, um, it's, it's a very sort of crass way of putting it, but it sounds to me like that has changed actually. And that, so that you're simply, and, and it's mixed, right? Because you're getting paid, but you're. Your uh, USA national team uh, teammates, who are still NCAA eligible, are not getting paid. So they've they've made some sort of arrangement. But it, it sounds to me, in general, that the Europeans are more welcoming uh, to ha- having you guys there.
1: Yeah, for sure. And I think that came a lot with with Dayon taking over as the national team coach. He had a lot of connections in Europe, so there's just more trust um, between the clubs now. And now. Now that they, we've been there for a few years, we've kind of showed okay, we have the talent, we have we have the desire to play, um, and so and we are a little bit cheaper usually. So these clubs that are kind of in tough times right now probably want to take a good deal and and get a good American player, um, and so we it's been good and it's really it's very lucky that the players and grateful that the players that were in college and not able to play this year before the Olympics are able to come and play in Europe this year. And that the A allowed them because the A easily could have not allowed them. Oh, yes, the, the pa- I and mean, in the past probably wouldn't have. Um, so the fact that they did was huge for us. Just, I mean, that's five or six guys who would have been sitting at home training, maybe with just swimming right now and now are playing champions league games. Um, before we go to the Olympics so it's a huge huge asset for us that we're all being able to play these high level games hopefully before the Olympics this summer
0: it's not often I get the chance to say that the NCAA made a wise decision so (laughs) you don't have to say anything I I get to though because yeah I have my feelings about that Um, the you're you're listed as a center for Yug and we just talked about you know your versatility does you utilize you strictly as a center and or not and because there's who's the other center remind me he um a launcher yeah so a a big dude a (laughs) a very large guy so is your role similar to that as of your your role on team usa or do they have some have you doing something else
1: yeah i would say the, my role here is almost exactly very similar to the one on Team USA, much more than my role back when I was playing on the team in Greece where I was the first center and scoring all the goals and, and didn't have to really worry about defense. Where here. My job is the second center. Um, me and Lonchar, who I think is one of the best centers in the world. I mean, he's also – I he's not – he's big, but he's not these 250, 260-pound centers. So it's awesome to be able to learn from him and some of these moves that he's teaching me that – are more technical based and not just brute strength. So, um, having him here teaching me things are, has been amazing. And yeah, I, I, will have to defend this year, um, and play, maybe play some left side in some situations. So definitely, um, my role is very similar. <laughs> and I think that was one of the things they were looking for. They, from last year's team, their second center and their starting defender both left. Um, and I was the only person they added. So, in those minutes I'll probably have to pick up some minutes in defender and also pick up minutes at center. So another, another reason that my versatility helped me get to where I am today.
0: I like how you slid in there though, at Greece that you scored all the goals. That's funny. <laughs> Not only that, but you said you scored all the goals, but then you didn't even have to play defense. I know that's an exaggeration. I know, but uh, yeah. it is, it makes things a little more, Hmm, uh, <laughs> less energetic. Let's put it that way. Although you're working very hard when you're at center. So um, we've been talking about Olympians, what is it that you know that might be slightly different than the rest of us what we know about what's going to happen for the olympics and maybe and maybe not even know so much about the actual olympic games but your training regimen is likely changing weekly monthly or your plans for doing so so what can you share about that
1: yeah, I mean, I think the big, the big difference is that this year, compared to 2016, we were all training together for six months before the Olympics in the United States. Um, this time around, we're pretty much going to be based out of Europe. Um, I think almost, I think we have 16 or 17 guys playing in Europe right now, and only a few guys back home. So in February, when all the leagues take a break for the Olympic qualifications, those three or four guys are going to come over to Europe and we're going to train here. And so the big difference is our kind of home base is Europe now, um, as we're all here training. So that that's going to be different than the fact that we really won't have that time at home before, but at the same time, we're all getting to play super high level games right now. And then have still have the opportunity to come together and train as a national team, which I think is, is the best case scenario for us.
0: I do want to go back for a bit because your coach for Team USA is Dejan Udovicic, who's made his name um, in Yugoslavia. And then when after Yugoslavia broke apart, he was a part of a partisan in, in Serbia. Can we assume that the things that he has tr- attempted to teach you as a Team USA coach translate to playing at Yug?
1: 100%. <laughs> yeah, 1,000%. Um, the All the skills he's kind of – instilled in me over the last eight years the style of play all of those kind of things translated super easy um and obviously not not a hundred percent obviously they have their own style a little here than you but it's easy for me to pick up and translate things because it's it's kind of that same base that that I come from now after eight years with Dan that that they've run here too so um Dan has set set me up greatly for success here um, and I think I think he's set up a lot of guys throughout that are all now playing throughout Europe and and a lot of guys in Greece <laughs> that
0: are. Speaking of which, so this is a question that I constantly have. I'm I'm fascinated by this. I asked, uh, asked Adam Wright this a couple months ago, which is there. I think you're well aware that there's an endless argument among fans in the States about whether we should play like a European team or play like an American team, whatever that means, right? It's because yeah. that you can, th- those obviously overlap there. The Venn diagram is pretty clear on that. Do you even have an opinion on that? Um, and maybe you could even help describe as best as you can, what is the American style
1: yeah, I think I think that's super interesting because I actually think we right now play a very American style, but Deon tries to teach us kind of the European skills because growing up in the U.S., we don't we don't build a certain set of skills. Probably a lot of legs. We're more of a swimming country. We're usually better swimmers than we are with our legs, so we work a lot on legs. Um, but the things like me going from center defense to center, that's not a normal. European style so that's kind of what people at least around the world see as the American style now I don't know now I don't know what people within America see as the American style but um, we have a lot more movement in our offense and I would say a lot of Europeans Um, usually it's me driving across or posting up or things like that or Johnny Hooper moving a lot so I would say we we probably right now play more of an American style a lot more movement um, and I also think that the new rules coming from FINA also reward that style. Now that um, there's a lot less of you're impeding someone at all on defense, you're going to be excluded, which then allows the, defense, the offense to really incentivize them to move, which helps us because we're a, we're a quick team. Um, so I think right now we have a good mix um, of this kind of European skill base and then our American style, which kind of still leads to our skill our skills, set of skills we have right now um, going right now. So hopefully we can put it together and be successful with it. But we have a good little European uh, U.S. style right now.
0: <laughs> You're suggesting that Dayon was able to recognize at least at some point that um, that there is something that's American about the way that uh, that all of you play water polo. Is that true or was there ever a point where he was basically saying, no, don't play that way, play this way? Or was it just adaptive along the whole way?
1: I honestly think he knew it before he even came Mm -hmm. to the US Um, and he wanted to play that way. I think that's one of the reasons that when he got here, people like me who wasn't the most normal, I wasn't the normal center. There were a lot of other kids that were more just back down centers in my age group that he didn't choose. He chose me who was kind of longer, swam more, liked to move, and that was the kid he chose to be on the national team in 2013. So, I think he came over with the, what a vision the United States could have been, and then kind of picked the players that he wanted to. Um, obviously, it hasn't worked out 100% of the way. A lot of the players that he he's picked, it it didn't work out things like that. But I definitely think he he had a vision of what American water polo is, and also what he thinks water polo should be in the future. And I think it, it lends more towards the American and movement and freedom and and drives and things like that. So the styles are a lot more similar than people understand.
0: What's fascinating is that's exactly the way that you could describe the style of the American teams back in 84 or 76. You know, this is the Monty Nitskowski thing is who, who many would say that it was revolutionary in in establishing. And you should be aware of this probably as a basketball player is that (laughs) all these picks and everything, uh, at least if you listen to uh, those who've been around american water polo for a while say came from monty or from other americans so it's very interesting because you would think that he's a serbian coach there's been a great deal of influence in the states from just lots of highly skilled coaches and players coming from overseas that suddenly it's just a bunch of brute force, big guys who can shoot. Or if you're Hungarian, you just counter all the time. Right. So, yeah. but but you're saying uh, that your skills or your, your tactics and, and techniques are largely similar to what, what you would see in say 1984, different rules, different rules. We yeah. get that part. Yeah, definitely.
1: And, and I think, I think, I think the Europeans are actually, coming more towards our style now, too. You can see a lot of European teams running picks and things like that and plays that maybe we threw that now they are saying, oh, this this works in this new style. We should do the same. So um, even the European style, I would say, is moving towards those picks and those screens and, and all the movement. So it's a really interesting time in Waterpool.
0: You're you're making a lot of fans right now, because I think that there are many who would say that the game had gotten stagnant, a little boring. And uh, the, so the new rules were obviously intended to do that, but also just style of play. I think people, uh, uh, the fact that those are being adopted, those those tactics are being adopted by European teams is uh, very cool. let's um, I'm gonna let you go. But one other question, which is the games, the LEN games that I've seen have no fans. And so is that is that the case? Am I missing something?
1: Yeah. So I think right now they're limiting it to a few fans. Like we've played a few games and there's been maybe 15, 20, 30 people there max. But yeah, they're not allowing full fans like they would normally have.
0: And there's a, generally speaking, a spike in cases in Europe right now. So there, you know, there's a lot of countries that are trying to deal with that. Um, I'm curious about 2021. Could you foresee the games in Tokyo being essentially fan free and what what do you think about that? I mean, because now you're a bit accustomed to it, I would say. And, you know, yeah. everybody knows, given what we're all going through, like, th- there's a, a lot of changes that could be made. But could you foresee that taking place? I
1: could 100% see that they just don't allow fans and, and I mean, the most successful people running sports so far have been the NHL and the NBA, which did the full bubble, kind of no fans, no one even allowed in and out and that kind of stuff. So um, I'm sure the people up in the Olympic committee are, are watching all these other sports taking place right now and, and seeing what's working best and then deciding what they'll do. So um, depending on the situation this summer, I could foresee it. Um, it would be weird because part of the Olympics is, is going and playing in front of a huge crowd, which usually water polo player teams don't have. So it would almost be kind of reverting back to, to like those high school days when it's just your mom and your dad in the stands. <laughs> so, um, but I think I think it's something we could adjust to and, and it's definitely something we're getting experience in right now. And, and so um, no matter what, we'll be there and do the best we can. But obviously we'd love to have the fans there because that's kind of what makes the Olympics
0: so special. You're headed to Tokyo. Let's say, are you bringing a suitcase full of your own food? That's what I want to know.
1: Uh I've been to Japan probably two or three times with the national team, and it is my favorite food country. So I will not be packing any any food. I trust the Japanese; their their food <laughs> is incredible. Um, so I you know I'm where I'm really going open. with this. <laughs> I'm really, I'm hoping I make the team because I, I love the Japanese food.
0: <laughs> that's your motivation is Japanese food in order to make the team because um, it's been said by more than one person that uh, Rio was not the best food that's ever been uh, uh, served to Olympians. So you don't have to comment on that, but I know that for <laughs> yeah. a fact so and, and I absolutely adore Japan and actually it's given me a chance because I was planning on going to the Olympics this last summer to actually cover it. Um, And then that didn't work out, but now I'm thinking it's possible that I do go back over there. So I agree with you, Japan is awesome, so. Amazing. Alex Obert, thank you very much for your time.
1: Thank you so much for having me, it was such a pleasure.
0: That's it for today. We'll return next week with more of the Total Water Polo podcast. But thank you for listening and telling a friend about us. And, of course, subscribe and do all the podcasty things that you're supposed to do on most of the biggest distribution channels. We are there. So until next time, so long from Austin.
1: And a production of TWP Sports, LLC.